This week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Jay, speaking of the union, we have two new union members we need to introduce. Roll call. Let's hear it. Brad Duncan. Roll call drums. Explosions. (laughs) Boom. Cooting and hollering. And Tyler Storing or Storing or I need, I need a pronunciation, people. You got to send me a pronunciation when you, you, you have to know this up front. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess this pronunciation up. Storing. The O and the E are mixed up there for me. I know, that's the thing. It's giving me like, it's giving me problems when I look at it. Like, I want to I mean, say storing. It's not it's like they storing. Uh, started the word off with Please a help us, Tyler. Tyler, you got to get a fill us in. Well, Welcome to both of you. Join the Discord for the chitty chat about all the stuff that's going on. And uh, make sure to vote in polls like the one we did for this episode, which is an album review poll. And that album was brought to us by none other than the man, the myth, the legend himself, Dave Gorgos, or known as from earlier episodes. Way back in the 2011s and 12s and 13s, Dirty Gert. How you doing, because sir? Because Dirty Dirt, Dirty Gert is a lot more easy to pronounce than David Borges. Yeah, true. Notorious Dirty Gert, right? But it was paired with that baseball photo, and that's what made it yes. special. <laughs> Still, it my the, avatar from many years ago. It's it's like the right combination. So. There have been so many episodes uh, with your name on them. I'm not even going to list them all. People can go to digmeoutpodcast.com. They can go to your name. And they can see every episode that you've been on. Oh, geez. We need to figure out a way, Jay. We have to go back. Yeah. We have yeah. to go back, Marty, uh, <laughs> to figure out a way to tag people who made those suggestions back in the early days. When we were doing like the PayPal suggestion box yep. instead of the Patreon, so that we can somehow link those. Were you like you were like a space needle? And space uh, needle, yeah. yeah. Those from Lisa the early. Germano. Yep. Probably so maybe... the fall. There you go. There you go. So, what have you brought to us this 2022 pick? I have brought to you the ultimate bedroom band, one-man band, East River Pipe, out of Astoria, Queens. Uh, This is actually a compilation album from 1994 of his various singles, B-sides, cassettes, and an EP, I believe. Um, Some of his best work. 
Um, and, and East River Pipe is Fred M. Cornog, a um, a he, he. I don't know. Do you want the history of the band? History of the band. I can tell you what I know. Tell us. He he was homeless, alcoholic, and a busker singing on the streets. Um, and discovered by um, a, a woman named Barbara Powers. And they fell for each other. And she encouraged him to release his songs and created a label for him called Hellgate Records, of which I have some of the seven inches. Um, and he, um, he, he released these singles and never performed live as far as i can understand um which is strange considering he was a busker but was had some sort of stage fright and didn't want to you know perform in front of an audience but released a bunch of these singles was discovered by sarah records which was a an english label that did a lot of twee albums and East River Pipe were nothing like the songs they normally released, but um, they they released uh, an EP and a single by him. And then Merge Records discovered him after this. And all of the Merge Records releases are on Merge, and he's still with them for this till this day. Um, but Merge had nothing. Uh, all, all of the songs on Shining Hours in a Can are pre-Merge. Got it. Yeah, that's that covers a lot of it. I mean, it's, uh, I thought the interesting thing that I discovered doing some Googling, because I, I didn't know who the band was or whether it was a band or not, um, he recorded basically all of this, and it sounds like most of his recording is done on a Tascam Mini 338, which is an eight-track uh, recording home recording unit that has a little, like, tape, uh reel to reel like built into it um and so everything on you hear is him just layering things and i'm sure there's some bouncing of stuff going on because when you have eight tracks that can get a little limiting so you have to become good at like a same thing when you had a little four track task cam you have to figure out how to maximize your your track usage and sometimes that meant putting two things on the on one track so yeah, from what I know, he was inspired by the Beatles, and right? Doing everything on an eight track, but he did everything himself, as opposed to having George Martin come in and 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 throw more stuff on there. So we did get some comments. We'll give away the poll result results at the end of the show. But we did get some comments on this episode uh, and this album over at Patreon. Kyle Bittner said, "Very cool album with great summertime vibes." I can definitely see this being played while road tripping. We're the album. And Jeff Genta said, never heard of him. Sounds promising on first listen. Looking forward to the episode. So some positive words there about uh, East River Pipe. Jay, would you like to share maybe one thing you liked about Shining Hours in a Can by East River Pipe? I was really taken with the production of the record. Uh, you know, it, it's fairly obvious that it's a bit lo-fi. 
um, a bedroom type recording, a lot of layering. But I think because he uses a lot of delay and reverb, it really is effective at, I think, taking this to a place that's its own space. Uh, it definitely has a, a mood to it. There's a, there's a bit of a dreamy feel to it, but it also has this mix of optimism and also, you know, kind of darkness mixed together in a, in a really unique sound. I don't know that I've heard another record that sounds like this. Um, part, sometimes I thought, man, this sounds like a lo-fi Phil Spector record. <laughs> like there's so much reverb and focus on the drums at times. and it just reminded me of those, you know, the Ronettes or something, the way that those things, those records are produced um, with that, you know, primitive kind of technology, but with a really lush presentation. Um, I, I thought the, I thought the vocals were pretty effective too, you know, with, in terms of music that I might associate with this type of style. I, I think this is does a good job of you know also using um, the the delay and reverb to create you know this this doubled at times vocal that's a little haunting um, but still accessible you know it's melodic um, you know he's not screaming or like doing anything overly obnoxious you know it definitely sounds like trying to deliver a song but again it, it's got this this production to it that really especially with headphones just puts you in a place and i spent you know most of my time kind of focused on what that vocal was doing and then just letting this music bed wash over so you know from that aspect i think also it's a the production is a really effective headphone listen um so yeah, it, it um, you know, from a songwriting standpoint, I could hear like maybe what Ryan Adams sounds like later on. I could also hear like some solo Bruce Springsteen vibes here with this, you know, uh, these droney keyboards underneath acoustic guitars or you know, picked electrics. There's something about the song presentation too that just reminded me of those two songwriters, just from a pop sensibility. So uh, yeah, really unique sound. I, I don't know that I've can really point to another record, uh, especially in the '90s, that it sounds quite like this. What do you think, Tim? 
Well, going back to what you're saying about being a headphone listen, this totally changed when I moved from listening to speakers to my headphones. That's where I went, oh, okay. I don't feel like it worked as well mm-hmm. being surrounded by it. When I was like in the headspace, then like the intimacy of the recording sort of made sense. And what's interesting is that, you know, you mentioned Phil Spector. It almost sounds like if if um, Kevin Shields had Phil Spector produce a My Bloody Valentine album. Mm. Uh, and there is this like weird openness and there's a lot of use of like droning guitars in the background or delayed guitars to create this atmosphere. But then a lot of this is very jangly, like dream pop. Um, so there's this weird intersection of like you said, there's like these classic elements that almost have like a Springsteenish feel, but then very of the moment. I know this is a compilation from like the late 80s to early 90s, so it sounds extremely contemporary to a lot of the stuff that was happening in like the shoegaze scene in the UK, but then also the dream pop scene, um, you know, maybe in California or whatnot. And it's a, uh, it's a, I think I, when I, really locked in is when I, I was having trouble with his voice and I was like, who does this remind me of? Cause I know I, I've heard this voice before and I realized like after a while, kind of it got into like the Mark Olson of the Jayhawks uh, oh, okay, end of yeah. things. You know, he's, his is a little bit nasal, more nasal than Gary Loris. Yeah. When they, when they do the harmonies and that's what I was like, okay. It was like bugging me. Like I couldn't place why yeah. I thought that vocal was familiar, but he's, he's in that same space a lot of the time and i think it, i i think the whole package sort of works in terms of you know the lo-fi approach to creating this atmosphere with the guitars and there's a lot of percussion that's done sometimes it's just like one percussive instrument then like the the guitar is doing a lot of the percussion the percussion element yeah. of it and it was really interesting to hear the way those things got layered, knowing that he was only using this, these eight tracks on a home recorder. It was one of the most effective uses of one crash symbol I've ever heard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like it is the same. It must, I'm assuming it's a drum machine or a sample, but it's like the same crash hit yeah. through the whole record. But it's, it's effective. Like he knows where to put it and he creates dynamics with it. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, he got every every cent out of that. Oh, he did. Uh, Dave, what works best for you on this record? You know, I'm I'm glad Jason liked the crash symbol because it is <laughs> it really stands out. 
because it is just that one sound and you yeah. either love it or you hate it or you grow to love it. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it's in more than half the songs um, at the very end too, as, as the, uh, the coda to the song. Um, I, I think it's interesting. You both brought up Bruce Springsteen because I do think that FM Cornog is a storyteller. He, He's drawing from himself, like Springsteen does, but he's telling these stories about other people. Um, even when he uses him, himself in the first person, he's really talking to someone, um, someone else, and um, you know, t- telling these stories about um, living in Greenwich Village, like uh, Helmet On, uh, or Make a Deal with the City, or talking to some poser like an Axel or Iggy. Um, but he, he, he really brings you to this different environment um, with every song while keeping the sounds basically the same. Um, it, it's really hard to compare him to any other artist. Because there, you know, this is a true bedroom artist. Unlike Eric's trip, where where they recorded in a bedroom, they were still a band. This is a guy who just did everything on his own. The only contemporary I I can think of is Baby Bird, out of the UK, who was also doing everything himself and doing lo-fi recordings and and um, you you know not answering to anyone else. Um, but it, it is hard to, to, to place him. I was trying to remember, I think there was a, um, there was somebody that recorded for 4AD, uh, that was like a one man band, I think, but like he basically, oh, his name every- is alive. Yeah. Didn't he record everything with the, he had like a different people play live. Yeah. That's his name is alive. Yeah. Yeah. That was, the, that was the sort of comparison i could only think of or the only comparison i could think of that yeah. would make sense uh but you're right i mean this is you know some of this stuff it's interesting it it reminds me of like the elephant eight collective very poppy um you know apples and stereo that kind of stuff but then the there's this very british aspect to some of these things in the way that they sound like ride or or um you know some of that very jangly shoegaze stuff that was happening it's such an interesting mashup <laughs> in some ways but it, it definitely has like this if you had told me this was on 4ad i would have totally believed you that this this totally fits in with all those bands and and sounds like dead can dance and and cocteau twins and that kind of stuff um so jay is there anything that didn't work for you on this record yeah i mean i think the record starts off really strong and it creates like a like we talked about this um kind of dreamy you know space that almost is another world i felt like I was either hearing sort of nothing new, like the same ideas kind of repeated or 
getting stepping just outside of that that dreamy sound uh, and getting a little too jangly and then it pulls back again i think with 40 miles and the times square gogo boy and she's a real good time i think it ends strong but there's just a middle section here that i started to lose the script uh about what this record was about um and some of the material just didn't feel as strong to me so i just wish it was more consistent you know i i was all in for the you know kind of this head trip kind of sound with pop songs and really indulging in you know these layers and you know creating these textures and then just using this really primitive kind of drumming i just thought that was a great formula um but i didn't feel like it was consistently there through the whole record what didn't work for you tim i i agree with you i it kind of flags in the middle or flails a little bit in the middle for me um just because it's it's sort of the same sort of repetitive um jangly guitar mid-tempo and i think what i liked about the beginning of the record is there are songs that start in a completely different space from where they end you know he does a really good job in certain aspects of the the first half of the record where takes like a very measured and quiet approach to like the first minute or minute or two of the song and then starts to build it as opposed to just coming in with a jangly guitar and a a tambourine and you know maybe a little atmosphere um but there's yeah from like um silhouette town to bernie shaw like those four songs all kind of ran together to me but once you got back with like 40 miles then it it writes itself because i really liked she's a real good time uh just i think that's a really interesting song musically So on the, I think on the original, we talked about how the running length of this album. So there was like the original album, and then there was a re-release in 2002. And I think they added three more songs um, at that. So I don't know if you, which version you listened to. Was it the 17-song version, Jay? Yeah. And Dave, which one were you going off of? I'm going off the 17-song version, too. Yeah. Okay. So the original one was 14. So it ended with She's a Real Good Time. So I actually think that's a good spot, but um, for the original album, but not to you know disparage the last three songs because they're fine. But the the other thing I forgot to mention, just to build off the sound of the record, you mentioned that you listened on speakers and it didn't work as well. I spent a couple listens using just the Apple's you know headphones, 
and it sounded so thin and tinny Mm -hmm. and I got, (laughs) I I did not enjoy it. Then I moved over to this setup, which is a lot, you know, better. I can listen to it louder. It's fuller. It just has a better dynamic range and it sounds like a totally different record. Um, And I, I think it benefits from, you need to play it loud. And I think you need to have a decent setup because the production is just, it's limited, but the potential's there. I think if you listen to this on really crappy in-ear headphones or something, you're not going to get it. So that's another kind of drawback to this is I think it matters how you listen to it. I 100% agree with you. It definitely sounds thinner, which does not help the style, especially when in a lot of cases, there's not really like an actual kick drum happening. There's not that, or the bass is pretty mid in terms of, if it's even there, I mean, there's some songs on here. The first couple of listens, I, I didn't even think there was bass on it. Right. Yes. Very Prince of him to <laughs> take out the bass. Um, David, is there anything that doesn't work for you on this record or songs that don't work for you? Well, it, th- this is a compilation record. And uh, the reason I chose it is because it has his strongest songs on it as opposed to his LPs. Uh, but the sequencing does leave some stuff to be desired and there's stuff that's thrown in there like woody's car um that are obviously b-side throwaways um you know this the sequencing of my life is wrong as the second song that was his second a-side and then ending with she's a real good time that's his that's the b-side to my life is wrong so in that case it works well but the middle section is that sarah ep which um which flags a little bit compared to some of the singles um other than that um i'm glad you like 40 miles because that that's a song that takes a long time but i really enjoy it Roger Ebert said there's no uh, film that's good that's too long and no bad film that's too short. And so (laughs) having 40 miles go on a little longer is really nice. Um, I don't know. It it might have worked better on the EP than on a record, Um, but I enjoy it a lot. And, um, uh, you know, I I guess... The drums are a limitation, but you just enjoy it. It's so consistent. Um, you, it, it, the drums and cymbals fade into the background unless you really enjoy the intricate guitar work that he does, which is usually overlaying two guitars, sometimes double track. Um, and and uh, ha- having these really elaborate melodies and, and that's what i enjoy the best the uh the interplay guitars and some of the textures also reminded me of the war on drugs a little bit too that was another band that kind of popped into my mind so i could see if you're a fan of that band this might be a record to check out i have to well, listen e- to them e- e- all. pipe e- pipe influence a lot of other bands yeah and a lot of other bands covered East River Pipe songs. Um, I don't have the list in front of me. Um, I, I, so I wouldn't be surprised if War on Drugs were, were fans of this band. Yeah. 
And we didn't mention it, but this was basically the start of the career for Fred. Uh, this compilation is considered the first album, and he's made records. Is it uh, up to 2011? He was putting out albums through Merge and um, in singles as well. Doesn't look like he's done anything in the last 10 years. No, I've, uh, he's posted on Twitter. Yeah, I saw I that. His last Twitter post was a year and a half ago or something like that. Maybe he's just not interested in that. But there, you can get the stuff on Bandcamp. Uh, that's that's probably a good spot if you're looking for uh for uh, to support the artist directly. Um, so this came out in '94. I gotta say, like in terms of, I don't even think that our college radio station was playing this. There were well, there are two radio stations at our college. Ours was, I guess, you'd say the more mainstream alternative. Like we played Bush and Pearl Jam, but also like Chibomato and you know that kind of stuff. But there was like the other station, like that was even more indie than us. I guess they would probably play, would have played East River Pipe, because like it was even too underground for for our mainstream tastes. Oh, my Make a Deal with the City single, thanks. WPIR, WMBR, KAGU, KSPC, WFSR, and FMU. So yeah. they're there. And, and my station in college, WPUR, um, definitely pushed the hell out of this band. So they're, 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 we, we did help get it charting on CMJ. Interesting. Yeah, I can't imagine this having any sort of like major breakthrough at like you know indie radio or anything, especially because he's well, not some he's not touring. Right. Yep. No alternative merch. radio, I should have said. Um I, I would is it fair to assume that maybe the the reach here is also a bit regional, especially because he's not touring, like it's limited in terms of uh what radio stations are gonna pick it up based on where he's from and who they can market, like get it in the hands of. I think um, Barbara Powers sent the records blind to tons of college radio stations. So it wasn't really a regional thing because he didn't perform. So Mm -hmm. it didn't matter if you were from New York or whether you're from Boulder, Colorado. Um, Right. You weren't going to see him. Right. It's just, you know, did, did the, 45 get into your hands yep yeah that's and that's interesting because that's at a time when we're 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 fully moving into cds by like 90 91 92 when he's putting out these seven inches and uh i'm like i guess we still had a record player at the radio station for a couple years but like by the mid 90s the record player was gone so that we couldn't even play seven inches yeah it was it moved to CDs and then eventually moved to all digital. So yeah. how does it how does a kid with a making a seven inch single get get their song on uh on college radio? I guess you gotta have a band camp to go with it. Can't just rely on the uh 
for sure. On the vinyl. Let's talk about overall ratings on this record. We'll share the results from Patreon in just a moment. But Jay, where do you land on Shining Hours in a Can by East River Pipe? Were the album better EP or decent single? I'm at an EP. Uh, I like everything uh, to start the record through Axel and Iggy. So that's five tracks. And then I like 40 Miles. Uh, I'm looking at the 14 track version through She's a Real Good Time. So it's another three. So I'm, I'm at about eight tracks and I would lose that whole section, which sounds like might have been an EP on its own. Uh, according to what you said, David. So I, I think I'm liking some of the, the, the singles and B-sides that are sprinkled at the beginning and the end. And uh, I think that represents pretty well, both the songwriting and the, you know, really unique and interesting production. Where'd you land, Tim? Um, I think I landed at an album because I, I'm going to take the first six. I like the song Psychic Core and <laughs> which sounds like it should be like a Turbo Negro song. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and then I'll, I will go with 12 through 14. So it gives you number three. So I'm at nine songs. I mean, that's, that's a good, 40 something maybe 30 something minutes so i think that's a good that's a good uh nine song album uh especially with a seven minute song in there so i might have worth the album david i give it seven good singles which would be 14 <laughs> songs um so you just have to package the album as seven singles and then it would be it would be perfect wow like so a singles box set Yes, <laughs> that is annoying here. <laughs> we've made vinyl records even more inconvenient by packaging them one song at a time. <laughs> well, that's how you used to have to buy East River Pipe, you know, yeah, before the Spotify era. Well, um, yeah, but yeah, there's there's enough for a full LP um, that this is a little too long at 59 minutes or whatever. And uh, there, there's some filler and re, 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 repeated stuff, uh, but there's so much good content on here. It, it, it's there's a full album in there. Our Patreon folks agreed with you. Hundred percent of the vote were the album. Have we ever gotten a hundred percent before? I don't think so. I feel like there's always a one at least yeah. dissenter. Was it only one vote? It was three votes. <laughs> but both the people who commented were were definitely on board with were the albums. 
So it was there's one unseen voter, unknown. Perhaps they go by the initials DG. Uh, that's probably me. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right if you voted for your own album. That's, of course. Uh, that's acceptable. Hey, look, you think uh you don't think politicians vote for themselves? Of course they do. <laughs> of course they do. Don't let them fool you. Uh Thank you for bringing this to our attention. This is literally one of those records that, like, unless somebody brings it to us, I don't think it's going to win a poll. You know, there's always one or two heavy hitters or or surprise runaways in those polls. And uh, a guy who records on his own and never tours, we would never have discovered this. So thank you for bringing this to our attention. Oh, it's my pleasure. And now the... Uh, the listeners can go forth and spread the news of East River Pipe to the lands uh, all across the world. Maybe and encourage them to make a new album. There you go. And check out the Bandcamp page where you can, where you can get all this stuff. Because I got to imagine that those early seven inches are probably not easy to come by. I got to imagine all that stuff was limited pressings. Yeah. So unless Merge is still pumping some stuff out. Who knows? Uh, but I want to remind folks, go to digmeoutpodcast.com. That's where you go to suggest an album, which is, ends up in our monthly polls. We just had one. Did it just end? I believe it just ended. We might have a new poll winner. Uh, we won't give it away because you'll have to find out on the future episode who won that poll. But we had, it was, it was uh, close. I, at one point, it was a dead heat. And I was like, dear God, please don't make this come down to a coin flip <laughs> or, or a runoff poll. Get virtual tomatoes thrown at us. Well, we, was... if, we get it, if we have to do a runoff, it throws off my whole schedule because it pushes it back a week or a couple days from when we need to record and then from when we need to post it. And oh, yeah. So I just, I just don't like ties. I hear you. Oh, I, I see the winner. So we have a winner. We do have a winner. Good. Yeah. All right. No ties my motto for all of life <laughs> both in fashion and in in polls wait let me vote now and mess it up <laughs> don't you dare Create a tie okay uh, locked it i locked it close it down so suggest an album at digmeoutpodcast.com it goes to our monthly polls which you can vote on at patreon join for as little as a couple of bucks a month and you get to vote in polls. You get to vote in episode polls for uh, your your opinions, and you get access to our '80s episodes and video of our beautiful mugs. You might and, be thinking, uh, why why'd you do a whole episode on Manchester? Well, you could have voted on that. Coulda, but you didn't. I saw one of our uh, one of our social media followers said that it inspired him to put together a Manchester playlist. Nice. So, uh, like, I like seeing that That's inspiration. Cool. For uh, I need to put together a Manchester playlist. Yeah, what the hell, Tim? I, I'll get on it. I'll get on it. It's on my list. I got a long list. I'm like Santa Claus with Spotify playlists. <laughs> I got to build for all these episodes. I still got like 20 to do from early seasons. It's never ending, Jay. Never ending. It takes a long time to curate a playlist. Anyway. Apple Podcasts, that's where you go to leave us some positive feedback if you enjoy this podcast, and we hope you do. If you've made it this far, if you've listened this far into this episode, then you probably like us, unless you really, I'm really sorry, hate us. Sure. Yeah. It's, it can't. 
David, we will we will see you out and about on the boards if if you want to stop by and say hi and you know that kind of stuff uh, once in a while. All right. I know you're not like super active because I don't know what the hell you guys are talking about. You're <laughs> digging stuff out. We're digging them out. I know. I, I find out about it through the podcast. There you, well, that's one way to do it. Uh, the other way to do it is join us at Patreon and uh, sign up for the Box Newsletter. I can't forget about the Box Newsletter delivered every week. News you can use from us. From Gary Gnu. <laughs> from <laughs> Gary Gnu. All the to... news you can news. <laughs> uh, oh, man, that was trippy. I need to go watch that on YouTube. I'm Such sure a that's a weird show. That was, yeah. Uh, two new reviews every week of 80s and 90s uh, relevant music uh, podcasts. Not podcasts. We don't review podcasts. Maybe we will. Maybe we could hey, go real meta and start reviewing other podcasts. Uh, that will work out well. That will definitely endear us to the podcast community. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. I'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Excellent.